Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt, slashing your taxes, and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, who has a vast collection of vintage DC and Marvel comic books, and ironically lives in Minnesota, where his favorite NBA team, the LA Lakers, originated, Dave Denniston. Welcome back, my friends, to another episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping doctors like you slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Our next guest was last seen on season four, episode 28, which we will link in the show notes that premiered back in July of 2018. And since then, I've had a lot more experience in land specifically, as well as just real estate. And so I'm just excited to have him back on. He's been doing some different stuff, some different things. Please help me welcome back Seth Williams to the podcast. Welcome back, Seth. Hey, thanks for having me, David. How's it going, yeah, man? I'm doing good. good. I'm doing good. So what's, uh, what's latest with you? What have you been doing the, the last couple of years? I know you've had some changes to RE Tipster and yeah. adding on a, another um, contribution there from someone else. And yeah, yeah, you bet. There? Yeah. So let's see all the different areas of life that have changed. So, um, yeah, so I hired Darren Barnes. He's like my first full-time employee on behalf of RE Tipster. So he's, uh, he's been a really great addition. He's pretty uniquely qualified because he has not only experience in land, but he also has experience doing blog stuff and podcasting. And you, it's like, he has kind of like everything that I would need in an employee. Yes. God just served him up to me on a silver platter. <laughs> so, so that's been really cool. Um, but yeah, he's been awesome. It's been great working with him. And uh, in the real estate side of things, um, so I sold off a couple duplexes that I owned. I just sold those off this past year. Um, so I'm totally out of the rental property game. Probably not forever, but for now. Um, continuing to do land deals. And uh, I've been looking at uh, self-storage facilities for about a year now. Like just getting educated on that whole side of things and all the pros and cons of that. Um, and uh, even pursuing a couple deals now. So yeah, man, but uh, life has been going well. I have nothing to complain about really. That's awesome. Well, we actually yeah. had one of my friends that was formerly in, in kind of the, the land geek stuff, Jeff Detmer. He was on the podcast a while back. So he's a land guy, but he actually started in self-storage. Oh, cool. So you, I should connect you and Jeff. Man. So did he, he get out of it for some reason or he's, he's, <laughs> he sold a few buildings, um, okay. but um, he bought basically some empty space and then did a bunch of Craigslist ads and got it all filled up and mm -hmm. then yeah. and he had good success doing that. So yeah. I'll have to hook yeah. to you guys up. I'll, I'll tell you, man, it's uh, after working the land business for so long, it's kind of like ruined me for a lot of <laughs> other real, cause like it, you get in this mindset of like, Oh yeah, I can make offers for like 10% of market value and get them. Like that's just normal. And I, you know, it's normal to get a 200% ROI on a deal. And yeah. that's just like unheard of. Like, yeah. It does not totally. work that way in any other type of real estate. And when I, I don't know, like when I talk to people and I'm like, what, what you're expecting like full market value for this? You're crazy. <laughs> but, uh, I don't know, it's just, it's a very different set of rules and a lot of advantages in land that don't apply to other stuff. So it's been kind of a, kind of a kick in the gut in a way, but it's okay. You're, you're like a 10% rate of return. Eh, <laughs> yeah. meh. Eh, not, not that exciting. <laughs> so, so tell me about the, you mentioned selling off the duplexes. So yeah. why, why did you decide to do that? 
Yeah, good question. You know, there was really nothing wrong with them. It's not like I was having a horrible time or anything like that. But uh, I just remember, so I, I bought the first one in 2011 and I paid 49,000 bucks for it. And I bought the second one in 2014. I think I paid 50 something. I can't remember the exact price. But anyway, um, I sold both of them like within 24 hours of listing them for uh, three times more than I paid for them. Like wow. it's just a... Wow. It's just, it's one of those environments right now. I don't know if this is everywhere. I think it might be a lot of places, but in my market in particular, people are just like tripping over the, each other to overpay for properties. Like mm. the people that bought these things did not get a good deal. Like I, they, they're, they're not going to cash flow. Basically their mentality is like, I just want to buy something and mm. properties are selling so fast. It's just that kind of uh, market right now where it's really easy to sell things and coming from the great recession and knowing how bad it can get. It's just like, man, like this is sort of a, this could be a unique thing. Like as long as people are overpaying for properties, this is a great time to unload these things. Um, and uh, yeah, so it, it was kind of just like a strategic decision of, I mean, these, these rentals, they're not making like a ton of money for me. It's not like they're making a massive difference in my life, but they have tripled in value. So like if there's ever a time to cash out, maybe <laughs> yeah. I should do that now. So, I mean, it, it's one of those things that's really hard to time the market and know the exact moment at which it's at its peak. Yeah. But, uh, and I, I think values have continued to go up since I sold this, sold these things. But, but even so, like, it's hard to not see it as a win when you can make that kind of money. So. Well, it's interesting, you know, I think there's so many different different ways to slice and dice it. These are more what I would consider longer term assets, right? Mm -hmm. You know, when we yeah. do land, it's meant to be shorter term. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess if someone's in this for real long term, then it's not a big deal. Yeah. But um, you bought these back like during the Great Recession. Did you get leverage on them or did you buy them in cash or? Yeah, yeah, I got, uh, I got loans, really small loans on both of them, like super small payments, just so that I could have a higher cash on cash return kind of thing. But um, yeah, so there were, there were tiny loans to pay off on each one, but uh, nice. Yeah. Well, I generally look at, at real estate when there's long-term assets, you know, either you're going for cash flow or you're going for appreciation. Like mm -hmm. I have a, a friend that just bought a few places in Ohio and they're not going to appreciate at all. They're like $60,000, $80,000 homes, mm -hmm. but he's getting, essentially like a 12 or 13% yield on it. Right. Mm -hmm. So he's getting great cash flow, but no appreciation. Yeah. yeah so that, I think that was actually, that, right. Yeah. That was why I bought both of these. I, I was not planning on any appreciation at all. It was mm. purely a cash flow in, I mean, that's kind of always my mentality with a long-term investment like that. Um, and then if the appreciation comes, it's just like icing on the cake, like, great, I'll take it. And that was kind of what happened. So like, it wasn't really the plan. It just sort of turned into that. And it, mm. I just decided it was a good time to cash out. So, so when, when are you for yourself? Everyone has their own situation, but for yourself, like when do you get step back in? When are you going to be like, you know, this is a good time to buy again. How are you going to decide that? Yeah, that's a good question. I think there's probably always deals at any point in any market. It's just that right now they're significantly harder to find than they were, you know, eight or 10 years ago. And, uh, I, uh, you know, in terms of like a rental property specifically, it's not like I'm like swearing off them. Like I, if a good deal comes up then yeah, sure. I'll go for it. But I think what I'm the direction I want to at least try in the next few years is doing the self storage route just because it's a, it's a different type of property. There's, 
different uh, advantages and disadvantages to it. Um, we're kind of bigger, it's getting more into the commercial space. You have more ability to increase the value substantially by either adding units or raising the prices of the existing units and that kind of thing. It's just a, it's kind of, it's a very different game than residential rental properties. Um, I I think of it as being like apartments, but without having to worry about the rats and the um, fixing the toilets and all that kind of stuff that, that comes along with it. Yeah. It's one of the interesting things I've learned about it. I, because when I used to use, uh, work in banking, I financed a handful of self-storage facilities. But the ones that I financed were like the million-dollar-plus ones, like huge facilities where they had a professional manager on site. Um, and you can do that if the facility is big enough. But with the ones that I'm looking at, they're, they're significantly smaller, like probably in the ten to 20,000 square foot range for all of the storage space. And with the ones that small, it's pretty hard to find. I don't think you really can find a professional management company that will mess with that. You sort of have to manage it yourself, which the good news is it's still pretty easy. I mean, it's, it's not that hard. Like you said, there's no toilets or people living there. Um, but like there are still occasional issues. I mean, you have to evict people and get them out and they stop paying. Uh, I think a lot of stuff, like probably 90% of it can be managed with like software. There's really great, uh, services out there now that make a lot of this stuff really easy, but still like there is the occasion where either you or somebody has to get to the facility and clean out a unit or fix yeah. a door or something like that. Yeah. So that's uh, that's kind of the thing I'm not that excited about. I don't really want to be <laughs> messing with that. Yeah. Uh, e- even though it's like not that bad, I would rather just not touch it at all. So that that's actually kind of been my biggest reservation with all this is like, man, I don't know if I want to sign up for that, but it's sort of a necessary stepping stone. Like I, you know, if I wanted to cut my teeth on something, not, not invest like everything, but like just get some hands-on experience, understand what this takes and whether or not I want to go forward with it. I sort of feel like that's a good size property to start with is the smaller ones. So it's probably one of those things where I would just have to deal with it short term and then either sell that property or figure out some other way to uh, be more efficient with that. Well, what, what I've heard is a lot of people might get like a, a large piece of land, right? That has a small facility. That way you could grow yeah. it. And then yeah. you could, you know, really get a bigger multiple on it or something because yeah. now you have that much more coming in in rents. And now it is a million dollar property yep. if you're able to expand it. Yep. You know? Exactly. Yeah. And for whatever, I don't know if this is like an uh, economy thing or what, but around me right now, um, that's the other thing. If you are planning to do this kind of self-management thing, uh, it makes a lot of sense to buy something that's within like a one hour radius of where you live. So it's not like land where, yeah, just buy something on the other side of the country. I guess you could, but it would be, it would be, there'd be a lot of you know, issues you'd have to work through with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so like I'm kind of limited to what's around me and like every facility around me is full. Like mm. nobody even has any vacancy. So wow. it's, it's, it's one of those things where I probably could build one from nothing and it, I, I'm sure it would take a year or two to fill up, but it would. Um, so I don't know. There's a lot of different directions you can go with it. Yeah, there is. Yeah, there yeah. is. That's awesome. Um, well, any, um, just kind of filling you in on, on the land journey um, that I've been having the yeah. last couple of years. It's, um, it's, it's been a great, great ride. Um, a lot of, a lot of ups and, and a few downs along the way. The mm-hmm. um, majority of my business has been 
all terms uh, mm -hmm. in terms of of um, what what uh, I've done with some cash deals thrown in there. Um, so I'll I'll share my screen with you so you can see sure. what's going on. So we go back to 2018 when uh, first started. My goal is to buy like 50 properties in the first year. Mm -hmm. Well, I ended up buying 90. Uh, I ended up buying 101 in the first year, wow, and then man. I sold like 99 which the vast majority of those were on terms. I had yeah. some defaults. We had about 14 properties returned. Mm -hmm. um, 2019, my goal was to buy 110. We bought 109, so we were like right there. Mm -hmm. And then goal was to sell 99, we sold 112. So, mm -hmm. hey, but I had job. a crap load of defaults. You can see I had mm -hmm. 40 um, yeah. returned properties last mm -hmm. year. Yeah. And I was then, actually saying when when you said you only had fourteen that first year, I'm like, that's pretty good. Like usually, you know, it caught up. <laughs> <laughs> it caught up. Mm -hmm. And now this year, you can see so far we're recording this at the end of February. I, I really kind of toned down my buying goals, so mm -hmm. about fifty properties for the year because I knew the defaults are happening. So I'm kind of factoring that into my numbers. So so far, I was trying to sell hundred properties for the year. We've already sold thirty seven. Mm -hmm. in January and February. That's so awesome, it's man. just crazy, crazy hot. The, mm -hmm. um, and I've been trying to, to move up in the world a little bit, trying, trying to, now that I have the terms and I think the residuals uh, are something like 16 or 17,000 a month, assuming everyone pays. Oh, that's amazing. So it's You're doing uh, great, man. It's, it's a big number, but that number doesn't last forever, right? You know, yeah. all of them are, are limited. Mm -hmm. Unless everybody defaults, which hopefully that's not the case, you know, mm -hmm. hopefully at least a quite a few people, which I've had some early payoffs, mm -hmm. you know, so I, I definitely don't feel like I'm stealing people's money because people are paying it off, but not mm -hmm. everybody. Yeah. So it, it's a wild ride. So anywho, so I've been trying to, to move up in the world and um, now trying to buy, you know, initially I was buying properties for 1,000 or 2,000 or 3,000, mm -hmm. sell them for three or four or 10 or 12,000, somewhere mm -hmm. in that range. And yeah. now I'm moving up right now mm -hmm. that I have capital behind me. I have experience trying to move up in the world. Mm -hmm. And um, what I'm finding is normally in those cheaper properties, I might be able to pick out, I send a mailer of 300, I might be able to pick out two or three. Mm -hmm. on average now that i'm trying to move up um, to properties that i might buy for five or ten or fifteen thousand dollars or twenty thousand dollars or twenty five thousand dollars that that mailing number has increased drastically yeah. you know it might be one out of 500 or one out of a thousand or even yeah. sometimes some mailers just bomb all together right mm -hmm. like yeah. they don't produce anything one out of i've had a couple of counties where one out of two thousand Mm -hmm. uh, might come back with some properties, but they all don't have access. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, eh, pass, you know, it's not what we wanted. Um, even with offering 25 cents on the dollar, like that's probably actually not worth the whole dollar when it doesn't have yeah. access. Right. So I'd say, man, that the ones without access though have turned out to be amazing deals. It's just that for me, when I find that out, the offer goes way down. Like, yeah. sorry, we can't do it unless you're willing to sell for, three to five cents on a dollar, that kind of thing. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting world. So I'm curious, like when you look at like mailers, right? Mm -hmm. And um, what do you think in terms of those numbers I just gave? Like what yeah, that are hard. those typical? Is that bad? You know, what, what should people expect? 
Yeah, well, I mean, I think a lot of it depends on like what markets you're working in. Like if, is that, do they have other land investors hitting those properties too? Or are you the only one? And I assume you're doing blind offers when you're doing this. Yeah. So mm-hmm. like how you're pricing your offers um, and what you're talking about in terms of like moving up in terms of buying more expensive properties. I think what you're saying sounds spot on. Like they're out there, but they're fewer and further between. Like you got to look harder to find those and it's just going to take more time. And uh, I mean, my, my whole mentality has always been like, I'm, I am the opposite of desperate. Like I don't need to go after any deal unless it fits exactly what I want. And I, there's tons of people that I just don't make offers on or I say no to, or I back out of them and uh, not back out of them. But a a lot of these uh, offers that I make are going through my website. So it'll start by, I get their information. I send them a, a number by email, like, Hey, are you willing to do this? They say yes or no. And if it just, if I start the research and figure out this isn't going to work, like I have no problems just backing off and saying, sorry, new information has come to light. This is not going to happen. <laughs> um, but anyway, so as a result, like I do far fewer deals, but like the ones that I do end up going through with are like pretty awesome. Mm. Um, and I, I think that's, uh, um, so yeah, in terms of like the numbers you're seeing, I mean, that sounds Sounds right to me. Is this mostly in the same state or is this like all over the country? Like, how Yeah, I'm trying new stuff. So I've mostly done deals like in um, Colorado, lots of Colorado stuff for my terms, mm-hmm. uh, Arizona, Oregon, New Mexico. So it's kind mm-hmm. of been my primary ones. Usually in those, I mean, I'm sure you've seen most of those counties a bunch yeah. of times, like mm-hmm. Klamath County, Oregon, Costilla yeah. and Park mm-hmm. in, um, and Sawash County in Colorado and um, Otero County, New Mexico and Mm-hmm. Navajo yeah. County, Arizona, you know, all of those are, are sta- states and counties have done lots of deals and usually like on the cheaper end of stuff. Yeah. Um, so how often are you selling for cash? Is that something you ever even do? Or is it I like- would say two out of 10. Okay. So do you, do you want terms or is that just what people end up choosing when they just, I'm, I'm willing to take whatever someone will, mm-hmm. <laughs> will give just to keep the money moving. Yeah. Right. Well, I ask because sometimes, especially when you offer different pricing options, you can almost like force the buyer one way or another by making the one that you don't want them to take look substantially worse, like way more expensive if you do seller financing or something like that. Um, so do you have, is it like the same price either way for you or do you? No, no, it's, it's always higher. So if I sell something for right on my website, you know, it shows the discount of cash price would be like $3,900 versus Mm -hmm. the owner financing price is Mm $4,900 plus interest. Right. So it's Mm -hmm. 25% more expensive plus Mm -hmm. interest. But you know, people look at the monthly payment and like, Oh, I can do $99 or whatever. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens. What about yeah. you? You know, if you look at kind of where you've invested, are you just everywhere? Are you still more in the Southwest? Last time I think we talked, you were doing more like New Mexico. Yeah. Like yeah. I've not, uh, I've not done much in New Mexico since then. Um, a lot of the, I mean, like I said, the past year or so, pretty much every deal I've done has come through my website. And the downside of my buying website is, um, I mean, even though it produces lots of like free leads that I don't, I don't pay direct mail costs for any of that. It just happens, but I don't get to choose where they come from either. Like they can be literally anywhere. I mean, even other countries for that matter. Mm. So, um, but like uh, the deals that I have been doing have been in Colorado and in Washington. And I'm looking at one in Illinois right now. And um, yeah, so the downside of that obviously is that 
you have to like figure out market values in every new market that you've never been in before, which is kind of a pain. And yeah. sometimes you get it wrong. Like you think you understand, but you don't. Um, but uh, I sort of counter that by just making sure my offers are just really stinking low. Like I'm, I'm using the uh, REI land leads theme uh, mm. for my WordPress site right now. And there's a built-in plugin for that, that uh, you know, the way I used to do this is a submission would come in, I would read it, I would figure out whether or not I wanted to do it. I would send out an offer, usually like 10 to 15% of whatever they said the market value was. Um, and obviously whatever they say the market value is may or may not have anything to do with reality, but still like that's what's in their head. They think that's what it's worth. So I'm just going to go way low based on that. And even if they end up being wrong, there's still a huge buffer of protection in there and it usually works out. Mm -hmm. um, but the way this uh, automated offers plugin works is it does all that same stuff on autopilot. It uh, mm -hmm. takes whatever number they put in the submission form as the market value. It waits an hour and then it sends them an offer that I have calculated as 9% of whatever they said it's worth. Huh. And so this thing is just sending out offers all the time to all kinds of people. And as you can expect, a lot of people are like, no, I hate you. I kind of think like, I'm not going to do it. Um, but occasionally people say yes. And I don't have to spend any of my time looking at anything until somebody says yes. And uh, so, yeah, that's how, that's how the deals are coming through. What was your original question? I, kinda got I don't it. remember, but that's, that's all right. Yeah. It's, it's so, interesting. I've been um, some of those, those bigger ones I've been doing some, some more in Oregon, some mm -hmm. in Texas, uh, some in Oklahoma, some, so some areas that I have don't have as much experience in, but yeah. I've kind of labeled, Hey, let's go back to Colorado. Let's go back to some of the, the other uh, States that I'm more familiar with than ones that I'm not, you yeah. know? So we'll see. I don't know. Yeah. And that's a, that is one, uh, a suggested update that I suggested this uh, Jesse at REI Conversion. Um, I said, it'd be really cool if this automated offer plugin wouldn't just send offers to everybody, but if it would like just say no to people who said, my property is worth 500 bucks. Cause like, yeah. I don't, don't want to waste time with that. Yeah. So he did that. So now it's uh, it's sending out substantially less offers and they're only going out to the people that fit within the box that I'm interested in, which uh, I'm not sure. I think it's a good thing, but maybe I think I've been making the parameters a little bit too narrow because um, ever since I put that in place, I haven't had anybody had any deals actually come to fruition yet. So I feel like maybe I need to cast a wider net to catch more people just in case mm. it might work out. But, but still, it's kind of cool that you at least have that option if you want to do that. Yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. So it sounds like you're you're just not sending out specific offers. It's more just, hey, are you interested in selling your property? Then people come to your website, they enter in a value, which then you automatically spit out an offer mm -hmm. after. Yeah, it's it's through. it's. I mean, it is a form of a blind offer. It's just not hitting them through the mail. Uh, like they find me first by doing a number of different Google searches about selling land. And they submit the property information and then the blind offer goes to them. So it's kind of a, I don't know, it's kind of a, you know, backwards way of getting it to them, but it seems so to be working. You're not spending any money on mail at all. Correct. I mean, wow. with this particular strategy now, any deals that come through that, I'm not. That's crazy. Yeah. That's, um, I, mean, I guess I, I did spend money on some search engine optimization so that yeah. my website would rank for certain things. So it's not like it's a hundred percent free, but it's way less expensive than direct mail would be. 
Huh. Yeah, that's a big cost um, that I'm taking on right now. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts, you know, as people start this journey? Um, is, is there anything in terms of like, we think about terms versus cash mm-hmm. um, or something like that of um, what, what would you do knowing what you know now if you were just starting over? Maybe you don't have a whole lot of money. You know, let's say you have 10,000 bucks or 5,000 bucks. Yeah. What would you do? Yeah, I mean, that was, that was almost my exact situation when I got started. I had 3,000 bucks and it, I knew I didn't have a whole lot of room to make mistakes. Like everything, every cent needed to move the needle forward. And uh, so the way that I started was I, you know, was doing the delinquent tax list approach, sending out postcards to people with sort of a neutral message, asking them to call me back. It was very, very time consuming. And uh, for the position I'm in now, there's no way I would ever have time to do that. But from where I, where I was at then, I did have time and I did not have a lot of money. And it, it actually kind of made a lot of sense because I could squeeze the most potential out of every single lead that came to the door. And uh, I don't know, I think if you're somebody who is similar to how I was, where like you do have some disposable time, you can do it. Um, I think there is a higher likelihood you'll get more deals if you are willing to go after the small stuff willing to deal with the hassles of a delinquent tax list, willing to do the phone calls and understand each person, each person's situation before you make an offer. There's a lot to be said for that. Um, as horribly as inefficient as it is, like mm-hmm. there can be some advantages to that. Um, and in terms of like, uh, you know, I, I hear a lot of people, I was just talking to somebody about a week ago. It was like, yep. So I'm going to just focus right out of the gate on deals that are going to make like $50,000 or more a piece. Mm-hmm. And, um, pro- I mean, probably because they've heard me say that at some point, because that's what I do. Uh, and I think that's a, that's not a bad long-term goal. However, I think there's sort of a price to be paid when you're figuring out a new business. There's a lot of lessons. The only way you're going to learn them is by getting out there and doing it. Yeah. Like just seeing somebody on a video do it is not the same as actually doing it and yes. understanding the quirks and wrinkles that come up. So like I would totally just go into it in that first year understanding like I'm probably going to learn a lot more than I earn (laughs) and it's going to take me a lot of time. There's going to be waste in this process, but like there's no other way to really get my arms around this than to just do it myself. And, and also like, I mean, especially when you're, when you're getting started, like it's, I mean, I guess it depends on your money situation, but it's almost like not appropriate yet to go after the huge deals just because like mistakes will probably be made at some point. And like, I'd rather you make those mistakes on the really small stuff. Yes. Figure out like, oh, okay, it doesn't work this way. Oh, that's not how I figure out the value. This isn't how I make offers. Like there's all kinds of things you got to figure out. It's way better to learn that when you've got training wheels on rather than when you're like throwing tens of thousands of dollars into a deal. so I, I would totally like, don't, don't only accept the huge stuff when you're just figuring it out. I think that's, that's awesome advice. And I, that's what attracted to me, honestly, about land in the first place was I could buy 10 properties for 10,000 yeah. bucks and be diversified, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like versus putting all your money in one. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I can't agree with that. with that more. I think yeah. the other thing that, that doing that approach is helpful is just confidence building. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I, I don't know about for you, but for me, you know, when you're not having success, you're not seeing results. 
you start to get that, at least for me, I start to get that nagging doubt. Like, what am I doing wrong? And your confidence just starts to get lower and lower and lower when you're not seeing success of any sort. But Mm -hmm. it's still, for me, even with some of the small properties, I still get an adrenaline kick to say, oh, Mm -hmm. someone's responding. there's, There's action going on. For sure. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I, yeah, I think it was uh, my first campaign I ever sent out was 106 postcards and nothing came out of it, but I did get six calls back and I was just like, whoa, like people are actually responding. Like people, <laughs> yeah. This sort of works. And then on my second one, I got a deal. And you're right, man. I mean, I remember the first time I got a accepted offer in the mail, I was just I could not, like I was over the moon excited, even though it was, you know, at most going to make me like a thousand bucks. It was just awesome to see that. And, and yeah, I agree. Like if you're only going to start with the huge stuff that like we're talking about earlier, like it just takes a lot more mail to get anything that way. Um, I don't know. It's going to be harder to see that early win, even if it's a small win. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What else? What should people, um, Ari Tipster, of course, is, is where you're at. You launched the podcast not long before um, the initial episode came out. Any, any yeah. resources you want to point people towards or new yeah, things? Sure. I think you guys had a course that came out. Yeah. So, By the way, yeah. your uh, interview that you did on my podcast, retipster.com forward slash two zero, because you were episode 20. Um, that was like a super popular one for whatever reason, people, maybe I picked a good title or something. You did an amazing <laughs> job, but, but a lot of people listen to that one. So you did well. I, I take oh. no credit for it. <laughs> yeah. We've uh, yeah. So we started the podcast back in 2018. We do one episode every other week. So we don't have a ton of episodes, but it's still a lot of fun when we do that. And um, yeah, I mean, if, if people are interested in land business, so I've got a, a free resource that it's almost kind of like a mini course tied up on a blog post with tons of links to other value-add stuff. Um, that's at landflippinglifecycle.com. That'll take you to that blog post. Um, but that's a, that's a resource I commonly point people to. And, um, and yeah, retipster.com. It's not just about land, but that because that's probably what I have the most experience in, that ends up being a lot of what gets talked about there. And um, yeah, we've got, a, we've got a course too at retipster.club on the land business. Um, so it just kind of depends on how much in-depth, you know, dot-to-dot connection you need or you want to figure it out if the land business is even for you. So, yeah. All right, man. Well, any, any final thoughts, anything else you want to share with us before we, we close it up for today? Oh, man, I, uh, I commend you though on all the progress you've made. It's really awesome to see how far you've come and, um, Thanks for sharing your tax lien stuff too. That's, that's something I don't have as much experience in. So it's kind of cool to see how you made sense of that and we're able to, you know, find good winning opportunities there. Well, we'll find out. Yeah. I, I just started in the last year, so it, it is young. I don't feel I have enough uh, full round experience, but I saw other people doing it. And mm-hmm. I think I always get back to this rule. Hey, if they can do it, I oh, can yeah. do it. Yeah. You know, absolutely. I, I may not be able to dunk and, throw the ball in the hoop. <laughs> I may not be able to, <laughs> to uh, put, put a, a nail in a wall super well without hurting my fingers, but I can crunch numbers yeah. and, and uh, do spreadsheets well. So, yeah. you know, this, this stuff has been, been right up my alley. Yeah, it is, uh, it is interesting. Everything I've ever tried, real estate and otherwise, it has never been as easy as it looked on paper. There's always some 
thing that comes out of left field and makes it way harder than I thought. So like everything has its battles. It's just a matter of what those end up being. And is that, are those battles you're willing to fight? Is that something you want to deal with? Because they're going to be everywhere. Yes. You have to pick yep. what you, what you want to deal with. <laughs> That's true. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, everyone check out Seth at retipster.com, the podcast. We'll make sure I'll have Seth send me the links he mentioned so we can just put them right in the show notes so you can get, get right over there. And so, my friends, that wraps up the episode for today. Thank you so much for joining us on the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast. Remember, remember to slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle.